Today's weekly wrap of the 2022 Victorian state election is proudly presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunstreet is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in community organising. We work with non-profit and community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe to develop campaign strategies, train engagement staff in leadership and power building and help you execute your campaign with data-driven tactics and actions. And in 2022, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, take action and organise communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also proudly brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have the experience you need on your side when something goes wrong. They know the law inside and out and will explain every detail without legal jargon so you feel comfortable and fully understand your situation. They know how the system works and have the expertise and resources to continue standing up for clients on matters where others may just give up. Find out more about Morris Blackburn lawyers by visiting their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. I've got a cold, and uh, that's my excuse for why I'm doing such a terrible job of doing the, uh, the uh, pre-read today. Um, hello, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, if we even get there, your weekly central-led politics and organising podcast out every Friday that dives into the progressive campaigns and the issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. At home, we are staying. We are doing our second week of our four episodes where we're going to recap the Victorian state election the week that was, and I'll be joined once again by uh, per capita's Emma Dawson and former uh, Victorian Labor State Secretary and Campaign Director, amongst many other things, David Feeney, to recap this week in the uh, Victorian uh, election campaign. Don't forget to subscribe uh, to the show by giving us uh, giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, and when you're done listening, leave us a review. And for all the updates, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, finally, let's get to today's episode. All right. Okay. We're taping this one on a Thursday afternoon on the lands of the Gadigal people. Um, I'm up in Sydney, New South Wales. I've been to South Wales. This place looks nothing like it. Um, and welcome to our second of four Victorian State Election weekly recap episodes. And once again, to help me break down the second week of this Victorian state election campaign. I'm once again joined by the executive director for Per Capita, the independent progressive think tank, Emma Dawson. Emma, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. And former Senator, member for Batman, former Victorian Labor State Secretary and Campaign Director, Dan Feeney. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so we've had, it's been a week since we last spoke. Uh, there are nine days until uh, election day. Um, uh, early voting is now underway. I read a stat today. It's like 9% of Victorians have already voted, or uh, was it 4%? Uh, at least 900,000, just under a million people have already cast their vote. Um, and uh, we're going to recap both parties who have had their launches on Sunday. Um, we're going to uh, talk a bit about uh, Matt Guy, news this morning or this afternoon, that he's now been investigated by IBAC. It's been referred by the VEC to a whole bunch of things that's going on in terms of them trying to get getting around uh, donation laws um, and some other stuff as well. But let's, um, let's dive into... I want to talk about the campaign launch to start with, um, which was on Sunday, and let's start with the Labor Party campaign launch. David Fenney, to you first. Um, it was held in Cranbourne at the Cranbourne Secondary College Theatre. Uh, what were your re reflections on the launch itself? Well, firstly, I think the location is significant. Um, obviously, Cranbourne was chosen for a reason. This is the Labor Party speaking to the outer suburbs um, and to those communities that it feels it most ne desperately needs to um, connect with in order to achieve political success at this election. So that was. I thought a good choice, a sensible choice, an important choice. We have, for instance, in previous years, seen the Labor Party, you know, plant its launches in Bendigo or Ballarat or other places when the focus has been regional marginals. Um, this, I guess, is a firm signal to what we already knew, which is that the outer suburbs are the key contest for this government to keep its majority. Um, the launch itself, I thought, was really good. I, I watched it and I enjoyed it very much. It was 
um, the Daniel Andrews show, the Dan Andrews show, as you would expect, but um, there were some terrific cameos from um, the Deputy Premier, uh, from the member, the local MP, talking about her experience of how Labor has changed her community. And, you know, just to show that behind all of the um, wicked analysis, we're all human beings, I really enjoyed um, the cameo from Daniel's kids. Um, and uh, they're describing how they had, you know, lived with politics their whole lives, and um, uh, I thought that was a very charming and interesting um, interlude. The the other thing that I thought was very powerful was the videos that were played and the overall um, narrative that was impressed upon the audience, which is this is a government that has done all kinds of things, has been super active, uh, but they've all been focused on fairness and equity uh, in a prosperous um, and egalitarian Victoria. Um, and uh, I think, for me, certainly, this was a week where Labor's slogan um, uh, really sort of hit, hit its resonance. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very effective slogan. I think it's speaking to all of the different fronts that we talked about last week, you know, the Labor Party's got now a suburban front, it's got fronts versus Liberal Party, fronts versus the Greens, fronts versus um, uh, independence, but um, getting the th things that matter, getting 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 things done, it, it's a slogan that um, I think speaks to all of those different fronts because it's a slogan that talks about um, how, you know, in the outer suburbs, uh, we've made your lives better with infrastructure and investment in schools and so forth. But in the inner city, we can talk about how it it's action that has manifested itself in um, you know, action on climate change. Um, so it, it means the Labor Party can work with the same message and the same set of advertising efforts um, on all of those different fronts simultaneously. And so that for that, I think it was an artful launch, an artful. Um, uh, slogan um, and an effective effort. Um, we'll circle back on some of the things that you just mentioned there, David, because I, um, I, um, I agree with a lot of the stuff you said there. But before we do, I want to go into a bit more of the nitty-gritty in terms of the substantive stuff that came out of the launch. Emma Dawson, um, what did you take from uh, the policies um, offerings that were announced at the launch on Sunday? Well, we were critical last week of the of the Labor Party for not hammering its uh, State Electricity Commission return policy, and they made up for that in spades at the launch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even bringing back the old Sun logo on 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 yeah. that jacket and all the t-shirts. That was great. So, I mean, that logo was a big part of my childhood uh, growing up in the Valley. Um, so I thought that was really smart, and I thought you know coming on stage to to bring it back um, was was really you know really clever as well. Um, so they did do what we but also Said they should do last week and make that really the centre of their campaign. It's an incredibly popular policy. In fact, I've seen some sneaky internal polling that uh, shows about 75% of voters are in favour of that policy across the board. So I thought it was really smart um, to focus on that and to make it the centrepiece of uh, you know, of their campaign. It's, um, as we talked about briefly last week, it's a rare, it's a unicorn policy. It appeals to regional voters. It appeals to young voters. It appeals to older voters who remember the SEC. Um, and so I thought it was a really smart thing to frame the launch around it. Um, and then they also, you know, announced some support for mental health, which is important. Um, some of those uh, initiatives, they linked a lot of stuff too to the SEC announcement. So, you know, um, tra trade opportunities, apprenticeship opportunities for, for young people. Um, and then there were some, you know, um, commitments around the, the sort of health and women's health um, issues that I think, you know, again, are sort of micro-targeted policies. So I thought their policy offering was good and it was strong and they didn't try to crowd the field too much at the launch, which is, again, sensible. People will just remember that image. And Jacinta Allen talking about the SEC meant a job for life. It meant, a, you know, a good, secure job for life. Uh, it's core messaging and I think it's really positive. What I did like about it was the link between the past and the future. Mm. Um, I think I, 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 
I can't remember if we spoke about this last week. I'm getting confused with all the conversations we've been having about the campaign. But, you know, we did remark about the SEC. There's a whole generation of people that will remember the SEC, present mm-hmm. company included. There's a whole generation out there that have never even heard of the SEC mm-hmm. um, and won't know what it is. But the the, the creative that they produced and sh- uh, used in the actual campaign launch had the stories and the narratives of former Yep. Uh, workers that worked in the SEC and yeah. young workers that, um, you know, were talking about the challenges that they're having um, in the industry and uh, apprenticeships and all the things that come with that and thinking about the future. And I just thought that that was a really, really smart way of grounding two groups. Um, and in some ways it was emblematic of, I think, what Labor has been able to um, achieve from 2014 and taking it all the way through into the future as well. Because one criticism you can make of the 2010 Victorian campaign, Labor campaign, was they ran out of ideas, yeah. you know, and they were kind of, and I, I say this with love because it was mates of mine that worked on that campaign and in reflection they said, you know, we're, we're out of steam. We just kind of couldn't really think about what we wanted to say to the electorate for the next four years. There's really strong clarity in what we want to say to the electorate for the next four years, built on the things that they've done so far, but now saying, right, this is where we're really heading in terms of job creation, uh, the environment, owning our own renewable assets, that kind of stuff. So I thought that was really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, Emma, your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely agree. You know, those those personal stories um, and the what resonates so strongly, I think, with young people is they go, oh, God, imagine having a job for life, right? Imagine having a secure job for more than a 12-month contract. Um, it really cuts through to a lot of that insecurity amongst younger voters and a lot of reasons they're moving to the Greens um, but it ties back to something tangible because, like you and I said last week, Stephen, everyone in the Valley knows someone who worked at the SEC, right? Granddad worked there, dad worked there, whatever. Um, so having those kind of, it, it was so great and it can be again, uh, was really clever campaign messaging, but it's actually the truth of the policy too, which is a nice thing. Um, but again, I think, you know, it it also appeals to younger people that might not think they're going to work for the SEC, but hey, hey, this is renewables. It's government-owned infrastructure. It's going to keep, you know, they're going to keep a majority stake in government hands and it's a transition to renewables. So um, I think that the way they presented it was really, really clever. David, I want to ask you about, you just mentioned in your initial remarks about the creative and, and, the, and the videos and Emma just touched on the sort of the, the narrative that came out of it. Um, you know, you were critical last week about some of the material being produced out of CHQ, that sort of that, just that pamphlet on a TV type of campaign ad that's been run now basically since 2014. Um, what did you particularly like about the creatives that were used in the, uh, in the launch on Sunday afternoon? It's a little hard to transpose those directly into television ads because they were longer format. But... Um, I guess there were two elements. The first is, and you and Emma have just touched on it, was the banter between those former SECV workers was really a wonderful, plausible, persuasive way of describing, you know, on the street how a Labor um, uh, policy is going to actually change lives and improve people's um, circumstances. And it was... And, and those guys had, you know, such lived experience and such authenticity that it was very persuasive. So that was a terrific vignette. There was a similar moment um, when there was uh, Daniel uh, and his interactions with some parents of um, disabled kids, um, which was quite touching. And, again, it went to um, the emotional and human element. Um, the parents and their their experience and their interactions with Daniel and how they encountered him. So, obviously, uh, you know, for Dan Andrews, that was a story that spoke to his um, values, but it also spoke to the fact that he followed those parents up. He came back to them um, and he came back to them with an explanation of what was going on and how he could make their lives better and do what matters. Um, so, and, and they were astonished. You know, they said on camera, we're not that political and we're not that used to politicians coming back a second time with some answers. So, yeah, that was, was very genuine and very real. And then there was the more, um, uh, the third sort of uh, video presentation was a more sort of stuff from the can, but it was going through the imagery of a government that is 
busy and active and accomplishing things and opening things and building things and reorganizing things and um and and it's interesting i think when you look at that set of imagery you know what is the government talking to us about it's talking to us about its accomplishments in health education infrastructure what didn't it talk to us about well it didn't talk to us about covid mm. um, so yeah there is obviously some you know it, 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 it's a it's a perspective the government sort of portrayed its best front as you would expect it during its campaign launch um but i think the slogan speaks to COVID. you know this is a premier who hasn't shied away from making difficult decisions he he does what is necessary um in the interests of the state so i think labor's campaign sort of speaks to past speaks to future um and um, um you know we, we're not going to um cast a light a spotlight on you know things that have been difficult and challenging for us um but we're ready to we're ready to repel borders at the same time I remember John Armitage is uh, telling me um, back in, and David, you'll know this because you were the campaign director, but in uh, 2002 for the Braxax Listens campaign, um, uh, there was a, you were getting feedback about people saying, well, what has he actually done? And then you did that ad, which was just, uh, just mm. shot after shot after shot after shot of, of all the stuff that the Brax government With the drum beat. Yeah. yeah, to the drum beat, right? There was no um, um, audio yeah, other than the drum beat. No. Yeah, and it just just it just was overwhelming. Oh shit! There's so much. To... So when I was watching that opening video at the rally at the launch on uh, Sunday, there was a more elongated, moving kind of because there was lovely music behind it and all kind of stuff. But it was overwhelming the amount of stuff that has been achieved yeah. going back to 2014. I'm just wondering why can't they produce something like that? Obviously, not exactly like that because that that that, ad, that 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 video. Well, maybe they will. You know, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, you know, there's probably. <laughs> You know. I thought I don't know. I thought about that. I mean, that's a, that'd be quite a funny meme. Really. You wouldn't have that guy sitting around while everyone's telling you, "Well, actually, you know, they've you know got rid of 67 level crossings. They built 37 new schools." And you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something around that, right? I just looked at that and went, "Well, that's that's the story because it's not just the story of what Labor's done. But it's the story of us. It's what we've all achieved together." Like in it, there was there was one reference to something that happened during COVID, and that was 97 percent of Victorians went and got vaccinated. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I cut you off. You're about to jump in as well. I was about to jump in with a with a, a slight digression from my policy nerd brain to say that the the announcement on special schools and disability funding was actually really important. Um, it's it's a significant commitment to the state provision of support for people with disabilities, which has been in decline. There's been this this sort of argy-bargy between the Commonwealth and the states for a long time. It's this kind of this perception that, well, the NDIS is there now, so nothing else is needed. Everyone can go on the NDIS. Whereas actually we know for, for children with neurodivergent issues and disabilities, autism, autism spectrum disorder, that school is the number one place that can support them and help the early intervention um, that can give them better life chances. So this is a, a really good piece of public social policy, um, but it will also take, it will lead the way in the states, I hope, taking back, well, putting back some of that investment into disability support so that those cost pressures that we're constantly hearing about on the NDIS be accounted because it was always envisaged uh, that the NDIS would not be a one-stop shop for people with disability and that those state-based services would continue. One of the biggest reasons that costs in the NDIS are going up is young people, is children with neurodivergent conditions needing more support. So putting money into special schools, sensory support um, and other supports for people with disabilities, especially young people, really good policy. Um, and, you know, that what you've just said there is is both beautiful and important. And if I can then become the, the campaign hack again and drag it back into a campaign, yeah. it yeah. went off. Yeah. It went off in yeah. parents' groups, Facebook chats right across the state. Of course it did. There's so many children now, children and young people that are being diagnosed with these conditions. Everyone knows someone that's affected by this, right? And um, anything that you know, who's going to argue with support for kids with disabilities for a start? Right? So politically, you can't come out against it. But it's a it, it will go off amongst those parents groups because they know how hard it is to get those proper supports and that the schools systems, the special schools across the state that haven't been upgraded for years, you know, they're just not providing best practice support for those kids and that they will be able to now. It makes a huge difference to the lives of those children and all their families. Yeah. Uh, 
couple of final thoughts, um, but before I do, David, is there anything else you want to jump in and add to that? Uh, well, just to build on what Emma said about um, the SEC, like I think this really has had a, it's been a wonderful week for the SEC. I think um, Dan walking around with an SEC top has been a masterstroke. It's kind of ever-present um, and, if nothing else, provokes others into talking about the SEC, even um, if the logo itself has limited currency. Um, but even in the People's Republic of Northcote, um, I was very pleased to receive a pamphlet from our outstanding Labor candidate, Kat, um, Vote Labor to Bring Back Government-Owned Energy. So the messaging was all there, but it didn't hinge on the brand, which I guess yeah. goes to my point of last week. Um, you know, this is your way to vote for renewables. This is your way to vote for clean energy and for Victoria to have um, a prosperous manufacturing future. Um, the, the, the messaging was all there and it was around climate change and renewables. It didn't hang on a long-lost brand. So while I respect the fact that you're both Valley kids um, <laughs> who've moved from your caravan here to the big smoke um, and that the SEC is just a very powerful brand in your lives um, because it employed your whole community, um, yeah, here... Here in a global city with a large, diverse economy, um, the brand doesn't quite have the same resonance, um, <laughs> but the policy does. And um, uh, we're able to, uh, and we can see now the Labor Party is really, um, I think, hitting high gear, you know, using the old SECB brand intelligently and interestingly, but mostly hitting the policy points where they need to be hit. Can, can I just say, if you'd ever been to an SEC Christmas picnic, the brand would be more meaningful to you. They were the highlight of my childhood. I hear the cow tipping competitions were particularly. <laughs> I'll <cool>. watch it. <laughs> so much, so much swag. I remember them as well. I love them. So um, <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, apparently the Libs or someone has registered the SEC Sun Ray logo and is now saying that Daniel's. Because uh, he's he's rocking around Melbourne with that jacket with the SEC logo on it. Oh, and it's you copyright. are totally stealing my thunder here. Oh, sorry. That's right. I was saving that for later. Yes, there's a fight over the um, trademark. Oh, oh they're such wankers. God, they're wankers. Well, I don't think that's going to play well with anyone. I mean, it's good. It publicises the SEC. It's all yeah. free publicity, right? Yep. If the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party can talk about the SEC for the rest of the campaign, as far as I'm concerned. No, oh, absolutely. Um, a couple of things to shout out. I, I actually thought that um, uh, the member for uh, Cranbourne, Pauline Richards' speech, was fantastic. Um, uh, I really liked Jacinta Allen's um, speech as well. I thought, and also, I thought Daniel spoke really, really well. Um, my only criticism I have of um, of uh, these types of events, and it's not a Labor thing either. I think it's just an Australian thing. These kind the, if you go to a US-style rally or launch or whatever, people are up for it, you know, um, and uh, the people in the crowd, the audience, uh, they're yelling and cheering and carrying on and it's just got so much energy in the room. These launches that we do in Australia, and I've been to heaps of them now, they're so, they're so stale. And those times there was Daniel said some really, really, you know, pretty powerful, impactful things. And he actually almost had to try and say, oh, you clap now, you know. Oh, like, there was, was, a, there was of, one moment, wasn't there, where... You know, do we do we want the state to be a tyrannous dictatorship? And there was silence. No, we don't, do we? No, we don't. <laughs> I know. Um, it just annoys me so much. When we used to run the when we used to do the can can rallies, which are for the volunteers, we would say to our field organizers beforehand, go to the pubs near where the launch is gonna be or the rally's gonna be, and you know, have a couple of beers, get them all fired up before they rock up. And when we did rock up, there'd be loud rock music playing, and we'd say just cut loose. So you could can, you know, kind of create some energy. But these launches, they're just so it's just, sometimes it's just such a snooze fest. And I blame the audience. I just wish Australians would start to get a little bit more American every now and then. <laughs> um, other than that, other than that, I think it's actually the best launch I've been to. Certainly at a state level, anyway. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, let's look at um the Tories. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want to spend too much time on them. Um uh, the, uh, their launch was held in Port Melbourne, odd, in a sort of a massive warehouse. So it looked, so it looked like their launch was being held in a draft. Yeah. Um, it just looked like it was an echo, like a massive big sort of echo room, um, balloons and that kind of shit. Uh, everyone's in their 
blue t-shirts. Um, and then the, the, I guess, I don't know, Emma, did you catch the substantive policy uh, announcements that came from the Tories? Yes. Uh, yeah. It was really, there was nothing much to be said because they've got oh. nothing to say. And all they did come up with was, because I was thinking during the week, how, no, no one's asked Matt Guy yet, what's your economic response to the, the you know, what we're calling the SEC um, camp, campaign announcement or the, the renewable energies stuff? How are you, my question to Matt Guy would be, how are you going to keep the lights on when big coal leaves the valley? Like, yeah. what's your solution? And their launch on the weekend was kind of like, oh, uh, we're going to... Uh, you know, we're going to break, breach the, the, the Australian constitution by just keeping the gas ourselves. And if that doesn't work, because it's not going to work. Not going to work. Uh, yeah, we're going to start fracking, you know, people's farms. Yeah, it's, it was a dog of a policy announcement, absolute dog, and been completely eviscerated within 24 hours of it being announced by anyone that understands the way the energy market works, right? Um, basically, they can't do what they said they were going to do. Um, constitutionally, they can't do the first part, and politically and environmentally, they won't get away with the second with Plan B. So, it was it was really weak policy, um, and I was quite surprised, even knowing that you know they don't have a lot to offer, that they couldn't come up with anything more coherent or more compelling for their launch. On the gas thing, I just thought um, there is a case to be made for the fact that, you know, Victoria has busily locked up all of its natural gas resources and now has spiralling gas prices and our plea is essentially that Queensland needs to sell us more gas because we refuse to use our own resource. Um, there is somewhere in there is an argument that the coalition could make, if it, but it would need a lot of preparation and it would need a lot of um, careful research and they would need to think about the fact that, you know, for everyone who was impressed with that policy, there'd be significant audiences who would be shitty, including farmers and people who don't want the fracking on their land and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a policy minefield and one wants to tread a little warily. And so I think they kind of did have an open prairie in front of them where they could make this argument, but it needed a bit of talent and wit to make it work. Mm. Um, and... Of course, what did they do? They wandered on to the middle of the prairie looking like, you know, foreigners in a foreign land and got annihilated because, you know, they had a bunch of farmers raging at them from one direction and a yeah. bunch of, um, um, you know, inner city ac renewable activists roaring at them from another direction. They had nowhere to run and they were killed. Yeah. Um, just another tragic case of incompetence. Um, you know, they did pick a bit of terrain where they... Had a, they had the, you know, the beginnings of an issue, they'd just gone home and used Wikipedia a bit more, they might have stood a chance, but they <laughs> fucked it up completely. And surely that's a problem for them in, in the seats where they're being, uh, they're in competitive races with the Teal. So I'm thinking, mm. you know, Hawthorne, exactly. uh, um, Brighton, uh, uh, Caulfield. Caulfield. Well, like David Southby must have been sitting at that rally, you know, that launch going, oh, God, this is just murder for me right now. Yep, yep. I think I think he would have been. I mean, that's that was my immediate thought too. Being now in the seat of Caulfield, um, he's you know he's starting technically from a, a losing margin since the redistribution. That will not help him one iota. Um, there is not. I cannot think of a demographic in Caulfield that isn't already voting blue <laughs> that would be in any way persuaded by what they put out at their launch. Port Melbourne is an interesting choice too. It was, it's, wasn't kind it? of, it's kind of the one suburb you know they don't have an interest in, <laughs> isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, we've got bizarre. a lot of complicated fights going on around the state, a lot of interesting contests, you know, a lot of interesting demographics in play. But we've found one spot where we've got fucking nothing, and we're going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was weird. And then they had the, the weird sort of materials and people handing out bizarre flyers that were repeating cooker claims and, you know, it's, it was a weird, weird event. <laughs> uh, and the other, the other thing about the... Uh, that, 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 why they were in regional Victoria and the outer suburbs, I just yeah. can't understand. Ooh. Well, just to add to those seats that we mentioned before that would be a problem for them, it also suggests that they're not 
serious about trying to jag South Barland or Ballerine. Uh, Alison Marchant, who's Labor's candidate for Ballerine, replacing uh, uh, the retiring Lisa Neville, um, was central to the anti-fracking campaign down in, in Marac. Um, like, she made yeah, the name wow. of yeah, well. Um, and uh, and that covers that whole area. So just bizarre, like I just the thing about last week I was starting to think shit, they're getting their act together, and then they do this, and I think no. <laughs> no well, they're, they're, I mean, as I keep saying, you know, don't worry about what they're doing. Worry what the news is doing. Um, Bellarine, you know, in the Jurassic period was a desperately hard-fought marginal seat, and I think we've held it since 1999 um, without interruption. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, people have grown up in that seat now. I've never known a Liberal local member. That's amazing to me. And and it's South, because I mean, Liberal stuff ups like this. Well, in South Barwon, the, the neighbouring seat is the one that has changed hands back and forth a number of times um, and is a highly competitive race. Um, and I just think that if, I don't know who the is running down, I don't know if it's the old incumbent that held the seat previously, but I think it might be, um, but it, it, you know, whoever the Liberal candidate for that uh, race would, um, they'd be pissed off about this announcement as well because it's just going to really undermine their ability to go out and talk to all those, you know, sea changes that have moved down to Torquay and all on the Croatian yeah. Road that are into this sort of stuff. You know, yeah. um, I, I just want to talk about some contemporary stuff that's just actually happened today or in the last couple of days and get your thoughts on it. Starting with obviously the announcement this morning that uh, the VEC, the Victorian Electoral. Uh, commission has handed over or referred their investigation into Matthew Guy and his chief of staff, Mitch Catlin. Um, uh, they were investigating whether or not they had breached the new donation laws that had been brought into uh, Victorian elections in for the first time at this campaign. Um, and they put out a statement today saying that we're giving it to IBAC because we're not getting everything that we need. Um, starting with you, uh, Emma, thoughts when you first read that on Twitter today? Again, like what a just a spectacular own goal. Um, And and it just blunts completely the only campaign that they've got, which is, you know, you can't trust uh, Dan Andrews, don't let him get away with it. Well, you know, this just thrusts right back into the limelight. Um, the apparently, you know, allegedly egregious breach of camp of, of donation laws um, by in Matthew Guy's office, and he's got nothing. He's got nothing when he's asked about it. You know, why why is this going to Ryback? Well, I don't know. I don't know what other people are doing or not doing, and whether or not they're cooperating or not. Um, you hired this guy. You had him as your most trusted advisor. This was going on in your office. So, it's um, look very unfortunate for Matthew Guy, but. Again, how not to handle it, right? Don't don't run up to the media and say, "Oh no, yeah, look, fair, yeah, we might not be cooperating," or my former chief of staff might not be cooperating. There's nothing much I can do about that. Um, it just completely undermines their attacks on on the current government. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a bit of Schadenfreude for some of us, I suppose. But it's also actually a legitimate legitimate issue, and it was a pretty staggering thing when it emerged that this guy had effectively been trying to solicit payments from donors to up his personal income. You know, um, it's it's uh, most people find it pretty offensive, I think. So for this to be back out there, week two of the campaign, it's probably his worst nightmare. It's the Melbourne storm of Australia, of Victorian politics, uh, <laughs> trying to get around the salary cap. Um, Dave Fenny, your thoughts uh, when you saw this news break today? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. It didn't happen. I'm looking here at The Australian, where the top story is Libs lodge criminal conduct complaint over Teals. Looking here at The Herald Sun, where the top story is plot to get down a crossbench they can work with. Follow-up story is Labor referred to IBAC over seats for sales scandal. Um, Premier under fire for jacket stunt. Um, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. But as far as News Corp's <laughs> concerned, the story you're referring to just never happened. Um, I've consulted here with the Ministry for Truth. Um, they've got no reports at all of your story. Um, the Age, mercifully, is giving it a good run, um, uh, and that's worth something. Um, but, you know, I just go to my um, hackneyed old um, issue, which is that... Um, you know, 70% of Australia's journalists and news media um, are going to make sure your story disappears without a trace mm-hmm. and voters will never see it. The, and um, why? The news... Well, because it's embarrassing for the Liberal Party, that's why. 
the the news um, during the week about this, and I kind of read it quickly, but I just kind of was a bit processy and I just didn't really sort of care too much. And now I sort of probably should have read more about it. But this this these negotiations between <laughs> the preference whisperer um, Grant, whatever his name is, uh, and yeah, and uh, the uh, animal. Animal Justice, Justice Party, Party. Yeah. and they were negotiating with him and they'd come to an agreement and then they basically ratted on him at the last minute and they handed in different uh, preference wheels. They faked him out. They faked him out. Like, I don't think they ratted at the last minute. I think it was a, it looks like quite a considered a plan blow up his whole operation. It was, yeah, it was a sting. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, I don't know whether to take it as, a sting or you've just ratted on a deal. Like, you know, we, we in the Labor Party don't particularly look too favourable upon rats, right? That's, you know, there's a code of conduct about the way that you sort of conduct yourselves in negotiations with various groupings within our, within our wonderful big broad church. But what they did was ratted, I right? Think or did the it, or, or to, I think the church Drew was putting together was way too broad even for our standards. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he had the whole political spectrum sitting in there. <laughs> No, it does seem to have been. I, I, you know, I look at it and think it's quite a calculated move to kind of go, okay, we'll we'll stuff up his hole because it's it's so dependent on everyone honouring their agreement, right, for it to work. Um, and the animal justice party has gone, no, nah, stuff you. We're gonna we're gonna blow that up in your face. I think it's quite amusing. I mean, the, the bigger issue here, of course, is the is the voting system itself and how it's gamed by those preference whisperers, um, and which is going to lead to even even with this rather amusing development, a bit of a nightmare up a house. But no, I, I found it I found it pretty funny. I think the um, the suggestion is now that because the um, justice the animal justice party have stuffed up that wheel, that is now going obviously going to preference. Uh, sorry, is going to favour parties on the left, including the Labor Party and the Greens and everyone else in, in amongst that. I mean, I think the practical effect of what the preference whisperer has been up to in recent years and uh, the voting system that he's working with. I mean, the biggest, it hasn't made much difference, I would contend, to the Labor Party or the Liberal Party um, because we get what we get and then we get upset. Um, But it's made a huge difference to the composition of the minor parties. And I think the big losers have been the Greens because Drury has kind of assembled all of the micro parties into... Um, you know, self-reinforcing blocks that have been able to squeeze the Greens out. So the biggest complainers are the Greens. Um, that's why, uh, you know, the Herald Sun has worked hard to make this an anti-Labor story. They, they don't want to embarrass micro-parties. There's nothing in that. They want to embarrass the Labor Party. So they've turned it into an anti-Labor story. The Greens and others will chant on about the fact this is just proof of Labor's electoral system being outrageous because... I think the Greens are the big losers um, at the expense of micro-parties. And for the Labor Party, reforming the system really just means that instead of the um, crazed micro-parties that populate the upper house, you end up with crazed Greens. And I suspect for our legislators, micro-parties are easier. Yeah, speaking of crazed uh, micro-parties, the Libs are putting uh, a bunch of cookers uh, mm. ahead in uh, preferences on their how to votes uh, over Labor Party candidates in the lower house and in the upper Including house. Including the Greens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're probably not yeah. the ones you meant, but I couldn't help myself. No, go for it. Um, <laughs> it's a safe space, David. Um, <laughs> just uh, interesting to note that. I mean, obviously, he, uh, Matt Guy got some questions at the start of the week about this, saying, you know, obviously we're not going to, you know, we'll take it case by case. But they're clearly not taking it case by case because, I mean, there's one candidate who way back when threatened to um, hang the Premier mm-hmm. uh, and the Liberal Party are pref- preferencing that person over over Labor. Yep. I mean, it's just, this is intentional, clearly. And the Liberal Party are playing a pretty dangerous game by flirting with some elements of society that, quite frankly, you know, have no place in representative democracy. Absolutely. And, and they're trying to, you know, weasel out of it now and say, oh, well, look, we can't vet everybody. Um, these are your pre-selected candidates. You know, you know exactly what you're doing. Um, and I think it, it is, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to our social cohesion and to our security as a people. Uh, the fact that that they're, you know, that they're preferencing someone that they, they've they sat down with their pre-selected candidates, they understand who's on the ballot and who's 
said what. Um, it, it, you, you make these decisions. It's not an excuse to say we haven't vetted whoever that weird cooker candidate is before we've decided on how to vote. Um, I just don't buy that for a second. I just don't buy it for a second. I think it's a, well, it's more important to have a consistent message on put Labor last than it is to stand by some pretty important principles, which is that if some weirdo has come out and called for the state premier to be hanged, uh, they should be completely shunned and ostracised by all. Uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty egregious behaviour. And it's actually lazy. You know, David, you, yeah. you've been in that room as well. You can vet every candidate because we remember we used to do the, that Friday night meeting at party office where we'd go through every single lower house ticket and do the how to votes and you'd always... Everyone in the room would have a contact into each of these seats, and we'd rely on these candidates. Yeah, yeah, they would tell you who those people yeah. are on the. Would the research and the intel would be ready before we started assigning. Yeah, yeah but this is not a failure votes. of Liberal Party vetting. This is not a failure of Liberal Party vetting. This is the Liberal Party putting the Labor Party last. That's right. Um, That's and you know, I, as I said last week, I just don't think the Liberal Party's got a is taking a risk here. Um, um, the, the, most of the media don't care, won't run it, won't embarrass the Liberal Party because of it. Um, the Liberal Party will plough on. Um, the most diabolical thing they're doing is, of course, preferencing the Greens. So Bant was elected on Liberal Party preferences, so it's an yeah. honourable way forward for the Greens Party. Um, and But they're going to preference a whole lot of other unsavoury characters ahead of the Labor Party as well. And most people won't care and it just won't matter. And there won't be the scrutiny of Guy and his team um, and he will stare this issue down and in 24 hours it'll be gone. Mm. Let's talk about something that's happening on Tuesday night. It's the first and only uh, debate between the two leaders. I think it's one of these Sky News, Herald Sun, uh, Nuremberg rally type fit outs. Um, it's in a, the people's a pub somewhere. Debate. Yeah, the people's debate. Please spare me. Um, <laughs> no one's going to watch it. Anyway, whatever. Uh, you got to do it. I don't know why we just don't just say, no, we'll do it, but we'll do it on the ABC. But, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we usually do, and that's the one that the Liberals refuse to attend. Hmm. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Matt Guy needs to debate more than Daniel, Daniel Andrews. So why can't we've got leverage? Why can't we just say, yeah, fine, we'll debate you, but it's got to be on the well, national yeah, broadcaster. I have no idea why they don't do that. No idea. Particularly for Dan, who's been pretty good on this stuff. Like, he's not, I'm not going on 3AW. I'm not, you know, we're not having Sky News playing at our rate at our train stations anymore. I don't think he would have lost any skin whatsoever. I mean, obviously, David, you, you know, you'll jump in here and say they would have been attacked every day in the Murdoch press for refusing to do a debate on Sky News. But he, you know, he cuts beyond that and says, well, there's a national broadcaster. It's freely available to everyone in the state. I want to talk to everyone in the state. Not everyone in the state has access to Sky News. And so, therefore, yes, bring on the debate, but it has to be on the ABC. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I agree with you. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. I, I, I mean, my whole point about Murdoch is you've got to fight him and you've got to ignore him. It's yeah. not you've got to kowtow to him. Exactly. Um, so... Um, yeah, I think you tell Sky to, you know, take a mighty big jump off a mighty yeah. big cliff and you stare them down. I mean, these people's poll, these people's debates as they characterise them are a complete farce anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, don't, they don't enrich the debate. Um, it's, they're just poorly run gladiatorial fights. Mm. Um, so, no, I don't think we would have lost anything from um, refusing them. No, and I think, you know, particularly to turn around and turn up on Sky News less than a week after the Peter Gredlin, you know, hatchet job on you. Exactly. Like yeah. just, just say, no, not, I'm not fronting. <laughs> yeah. uh, David, same question I asked you uh, when we did this back in May for the uh, for the federal election. Um, you've obviously done debate prep with leaders before. How, do you, how would you prep Daniel ahead of uh, this People's Forum on Tuesday night? Well, now that you're obliging me to take it seriously... Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess the first thing is the frame isn't bad for us. You know, it's Daniel versus Guy, and so that's a simplicity that isn't reflective of the actual campaign, but it's a simplicity that works for Labor. Um, so I'd embrace that. Um, uh, you know, the, in a campaign where there are so many moving parts, it's nice to have a debate where there are only two. Um, and... The art will be, as is ever the case where there's such a dominant premier, is not to so dominate the campaign, the debate, that people end up feeling sorry for the poor harassed creature at the end of this, 
stage. Um, you know, and, and that's a fine art because, as Paul Keating said, if every time you nurse them, they'll die in your arms. Um, but you've got to um, win the debate without it being a crushing, arrogant display of superiority. Um, and uh, Daniel can, and I'm sure will do that, um, by sticking to a policy debate and staying, you know, taking the high ground. Um, and because the vanity of Sky is that this is a people's debate, and so they have this, if it's consistent with previous formats, they'll have an audience of selected um, uh, swinging voters um, in the crowd. That does have, as we've discussed in previous iterations, that does have a chilling effect on the ferocity of the debate because both leaders are performing to an audience of uh, swinging voters and so they don't want to appear like Mad Max or a ravening cannibal in that audience. So it usually has a chilling effect on how much they abuse each other and keeps them both policy-focused. That's good for Daniel too because you know, all of those years in government, all of those years of accomplishment, all of those years of absorbing cabinet debate, he'll just know policy and the breadth of it in a way that guy will leave guys head spinning. So um, not with the fact that, you know, Murdoch, you know, that, that it's an unfriendly environment insofar as it's sky. It's like holding a debate in the anteroom of Liberal Party headquarters. Um, notwithstanding that truth, um, there's a lot of things about this that uh, should be good for Daniel. Emma, from a, to David's point about policy, what do you want to see D Daniel uh, uh, nail in the policy conversation? And what would you want to see Daniel try and pin Matt Guy on in terms of his policy weaknesses areas? Uh, oh, God. Um, so I think and on what what would I like to see Daniel nail? The one thing that I think we that he's vulnerable on is the Alfred Hospital. Um, not only because the the chief guy calling for the refurbishment of the Alfred is the guy that saved his life, um, and Matthew guys come out with quite a you know decent uh, announcement on the Alfred Hospital. Uh, it is, and I you know declare a vested interest here. This you know the Alfred saved my husband's life this year, so it's a pretty important issue for wow. me. Um, yeah, and it is, and it is, there are, you know, there are facilities there that are really out of date. I think um, that's potentially, if the media was in any way interested in policy, um, an area of weakness for us. And I think that that could be something that Labor wants to take a look at. Um, where should he nail Matthew Guy? Um, precisely where you said earlier, Stephen, like what, what's his solution for when the coal-fired plants shut down? How's he going to keep the lights on? Um push him every day on his gas thing because it doesn't work and every policy expert has said so. So what's your solution? What's your answer for when those private companies that your party sold our energy infrastructure to, when they piss off out of the country and leave everyone without a job and no energy, where's your answer for that? Because it's a mess that your party made and you have no plans to clean it up. That's what I'd be saying. I just had a great idea for an ad. We should do an ad where um, uh, Dan, uh, uh, Matt Guy becomes the Premier of Victoria and then all of a sudden it ticks over to 2025 or whenever the hell all the um, gas companies are moving out of Victoria and then the ad goes black because all the lights <laughs> go out and just leave it like that for the next 10 seconds and then end the ad like that. Anyway, good point. Okay, let's move on. How you end up here and not at Saatchi and Saatchi as a continuing mystery, Tony? Give me for me, they can't afford me. Um, a couple of questions uh, from our uh, uh, listeners. Uh, mailback time. Um, we've got a question um, from uh, from Ian. Hume again. We are, Ian asked a question last week. He's just, he's just got some absolute pearls. So I'm just going to keep him, put him up. But Ian, keep him asking his questions. He asks, there's been comparisons between the 99 election uh, when Kennett lost in a surprise election uh, and this campaign, and uh, Ian wants to know what what are the similarities and differences between these two camps campaigns? And what you know, what are warning signs for Labor in the in the you know? I'll give that one for you, David, and I've got a question for you as well, Emma. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, if reflecting on the nineteen ninety nine campaign, um, I, there are two things about the Liberal campaign. The first is. Uh, in 1992, the guilty party. In 1996, they ran the campaign, still the guilty party. And then in 1999, 
they ran a really weak, soft-soaked, high-production values effort that was kind of a blancmange. It was a, it was a dreadful, hopeless paid media campaign. And then that was powered along by Kenneth making some spectacular mistakes, um, uh, including, you know, describing the regions of Victoria as the toenails of the state and various other enormous mistakes. So the 1999 election, we had, you know, a Premier tagged with arrogance, making some big unforced errors um, and whose campaign was powered along by um, a, a very ordinary paid media effort. Um, so hopefully none of those conditions exist in this one where Daniel and the Labor campaign understand the threat of the arrogance tag that some seek to uh, ascribe to them. Um, hopefully our campaign will hit its paces and we're not taking anything for granted and we won't, won't make unforced errors. So... Um, I, I guess I'd like to also say that having seen at least what I've seen so far, there doesn't seem to be a lot of nimble um, and clever advertising or messaging coming out of the opposition. So, you know, I think it's easy to draw comparisons between 99 and today in terms of the electoral ter terrain, and I've done that myself. Um, but hopefully what we'll see at the finish is a very different result. Excellent. And uh, Emma, to you, uh, the question, uh, Daniel didn't write down the name of the person who asked this question, so I apologise uh, in advance. But the question was basically, how is Labor going to straddle defending two fronts in this campaign to the Greens on its left in the inner city and then obviously to a, a coalition of uh, Tories and Cookers uh, in the outer suburbs uh, from a policy perspective? Alex Edgar asked us that question. I just looked it up. Um, it is a good oh, thank question, you. Alex. Well done. Um, yeah, this... this this is one of the, the big challenges um, and has been, you know, it's not a new challenge for Labor. Uh, and it came to the fore during the um, pandemic, obviously, where a lot of those seats where you're talking about the, you know, the radical anti-vaxxers and anti-lockdown protesters being located are often in traditionally Labor working class seats in the outer suburbs. Um, and I don't think any of us know how that's going to play out until we see the votes on election day. Um, it so that, that complicates what has already been a long-standing challenge for Labor because the lockdowns were favoured in the inner city where you had a high proportion of knowledge economy workers who could work from home. Um, how you bridge that in policy terms, I don't know. Politically, um, I think it is reflected in the campaign message, doing what matters, doing the things that need to be done. You know, it's it's a an unrepentant, like we get it was hard, but we did what we had to do. Uh, we can't apologise for it, but you get what it says on the tin, right? We we did what we have to do and we'll do it again if we have to. Um, but then on the other, the flip side of that, the uh, to return to something we've hammered a lot, the SEC announcement is a really good one in that regard because it does speak to that, that high level of insecurity about job. You know, job insecurity is really a huge issue in those outer suburbs. That's where people tend to be on minimum wage, fixed contract, casual gig economy work. Um, so that policy, like I said before, is a unicorn policy that appeals to those inner city voters that we need to get back from the Greens because it's renewables, but also sends a strong message to those um, regional and outer suburban communities that actually, look, we want to bring back the kind of jobs that your grandparents have. Now, I don't know that that will cut through. Nothing's going to, you know, persuade the real cookers, the anti-vaxxers, uh, to come to, to get back on board or to get on board with the Dan Andrews show. Um, but for the swinging voters in those outer suburbs, I suspect that that message about, look, we get we get how insecure things have been for you. We are going to bring back the kind of employment and workforce and care for working people that characterise Labor in the past. Um, and that's clearly how they framed that message at the campaign launch very deliberately. Um, is is a potential to to appeal to both groups, but yeah, I don't dispute the wicked problem of not knowing how, just how many people in those former Labor heart, heartland seats were really badly affected by lockdowns and how they'll vote. Um, I just think it's less then it's less likely they'll vote Liberal and more likely they'll go to one of the the you know minor party right wing parties perhaps. 
Um, we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip over polling uh, this week and maybe we'll have a bit more of a substantive conversation about it next week because there'll be a bunch more polls that have come out by that stage. But so let's just jump straight to media and how they performed this week. Obviously, last week we had a lot of conversation about how outrageous they were um, conducting themselves <laughs> in, the, in the coverage of this election campaign, so we don't need to re-prosecute that. But I want to get a sense from both of you. Have we seen a shift in the way that they've conducted themselves um, since, uh, since last week? David, your thoughts to begin with? Well, actually, I'd say no. I, I, it's not as intense. It's not as high profile. It's not quite as combative as last week. Um, but, um, you know, the, the focus of News Corp hasn't changed. You pick up the Herald Sun any one day, every Labor story will be in magnification. Uh, every alternative story won't be written or be written in very small um, pieces. So, um, uh, you know, the campaign from Conservative headquarters at News Corp continues. Um, I, it, as it, the intensity um, has perhaps come down a little bit this week, um, but I'd say the fundamentals are still in place. I reckon they're knackered. I reckon they uh, ran a really bad 800 and they went out really hard in the first uh, 200, 250, and now they've come up to the bell lap and they're exhausted. Uh, Emma, your thoughts on the media's performance this week? Yeah, and no, it hasn't been much of an improvement, and I, you know, refuse to watch it, but uh, apparently the Peter Credlin so-called documentary was as risable as everyone suspected it would be. Um, I, you know, I won't repeat what... Balanced journalism we're expecting. Important journalism, David. She's a very important journalist. Um, uh, so I won't repeat David's, you know, very eloquent comments about news. Um, but certainly, the, you know, the age uh, sort of seems to have had a, a last-minute realisation that it's not doing its usual greens boosting this time and it's probably got some angry letters about that. So we've seen a flurry of, you know, nice pieces about Samantha Ratnam this week and, uh, and oh, how dare Labor call out you know, the Greens in Kuyong for having been involved in the climate scorecard. That's just grubby politics from Labor. Um, so that framing, if you look through the headlines on the ages election, Victorian election page, there's really not one headline that's framed positively for the ALP. Uh, so even if the article goes on to be reasonably even-handed, the headline snapshots are always the Labor attacked for doing this. Um, you know, the, the 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 Greens have been egregiously offended by this. Um, so no, there's there's not been a huge shift, and I don't expect there will be. Uh, sticking with you, Emma, do you have a nomination for this week's Tory with a typewriter? Well, look, you can't go past Peter and her, you know, sterling effort um, at her long-form journalistic practice on Sky News. Uh, uh, that was, you know, that was, uh, again, I refuse to watch it, but the few clips I've seen on social media and the descriptions I've read uh, make me realise she's really putting her heart and soul into this. And, uh, yeah, you bring on the day when Peter rolls Matthew Guy for leadership of the Victorian Liberal Party, the only yeah. one that's up. Oh, it's pretty, uh, it shows you how good you are. You can get a nomination for something that you've, no one's actually seen what you've done, but we just know that it's going to be shit. So yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. Right. I love it. Uh, reputation leads uh, Indeed. David, uh, your nomination for this week. Well, yeah, as I tried to explain last week, you can't choose Peter Credlin because she's not a journalist, right? She's, <laughs> I mean, how do you choose Liberal Party staffers who become News Corp commentators? It's how do you unscramble that egg? Well, she so, literally is a Tory with a typewriter, right? That's all she, she literally is. is a Tory with a typewriter. She is the Tory with a typewriter. So um, my eye was forced to look past her and I've settled upon Shannon Dreary. Oh, bless. Shannon Drury at the Herald Sun. Daniel Andrews under fire over SEC jacket. This is uh, the issue you alluded to earlier, Stephen. By turning himself into a walking billboard for his plans to revive the State Electricity Commission, Dan Andrews has found himself in hot water. <laughs> da, 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 da. Those cunning Liberals, they've tried. The, on Tuesday, the Liberal Party lodged a trademark application for the logo that adorns Daniel Andrews' which is accepted by IP Australia, the responsible federal government agency. The fact that the logo was not trademarked speaks volumes. He has no plan to lower power prices. Uh, it's gold, comedy gold, um, and he's my nominee. Congratulations, Shannon. Congratulations, Peter. We always said at the start of this uh, series of podcasts that it was going to be a very competitive field. It's turned out to be. Um, 
Uh, to both uh, you, uh, David and Emma, thank you so much again for coming on the show this week. Great to see you both. To everyone out there, um, as we said, there are only nine days to go until uh, Election Day. People are voting right now. There's nothing else for you to do except for to get on the phones or get on the doors and speak with your neighbours about why they need to return a Labor government for the next four years. Otherwise, it's going to be Armageddon. So just go to thisislabor.org and give over your details in the sign-up page and a field organiser from one of the campaigns will give you a call. Um, otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you all next week for our ultimate show before the election. Cheers. Thank Thank you very much. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Socially Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And to get all the latest on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on.